When Adolf Hitler took power uh, over Germany, it, the transformation that took place was described as like a blitzkrieg. It was so rapid, so radical, uh, so synchronized and systematic uh, that the German people were left kind of stunned. I really feel like we're in that place today. The transformation that's happened in our nation, especially around sexual ethics, marriage, the family, a lot of our freedoms has been uh, so quick. We're almost, our heads are spinning. Uh, and so a man by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer spoke to the church in a prophetic way, especially addressing Hitler's attack on the Jewish people and, uh, and really challenged the church with three fundamental responses that they should have. We're going to talk about those responses today and we're going to uh, connect the dots between the parallels between the American church culture today and what was taking place in the German church in Nazi Germany. I think the, the parallels are amazing and I think you're going to find uh, this very very eye-opening. So I, I hope you'll tune in today and uh, and be a part of our podcast. Hey, welcome to the Ron Johnson Discipleship Podcast. It, it is fall here in Northwest Indiana. We're breaking out. Well, you kind of are standard with your, uh, your yeah, hoodie. It's cold in here, <laughs> even the summertime. But I'm breaking out my flannels today. <laughs> and uh, most importantly, we are going to break out uh, some great Christian worldview and connect the dots for you guys. Uh, we've been in a great book. Bring us up to speed. Yeah, we've been in this book by Aaron Metaxas called The Letter to the American Church. If it sounds kind of like serious and, and solemn, because it, 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 it is. And Eric McTaxes went there. He, you know, he, of course, famously authored Bonhoeffer. And he is now currently comparing the, the current American church to the pre-World War II German church. And basically, this letter is saying, don't make the same mistake the German church did before the yeah. rise of Nazism in Germany. Yeah. That's a serious it's a, it's, it's a serious thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That Just to write a book, recognizing that the parallels are so pronounced uh, is, is in itself uh, sobering. Um, but we to bring our audience up to speed, you know, last week, if you were listening to us, we talked about a sermon that... Um, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer preached at the the church in the area uh, in all of Germany. It was where all the the big shots and elites went, and really it was a strong prophetic word. It was a wake up call preached out of Revelation uh, about returning to your first love, and you know it was on Reformation Day, which was of course the celebration of the whole Protestant Reformation, and uh, and what Metaxas or or what Bonhoeffer said to the church that day was that uh, we were not here protesting as as God's people, but God was actually protesting us mm. uh, and really calling us back to our first love uh, and moving away from just shallow um, form to real substance. Right. And his cry was for the church to wake up. And of course, in, we have the benefit of looking back historically and realizing that the, the wake-up call perhaps came too late, but it certainly wasn't responded. The church didn't respond with repentance, um, which leads us kind of to where we are now in the in this chapter, because things began to escalate very quickly. In fact, it was three months after Bonhoeffer's sermon, uh, this would have been in January 1933, that Adolf Hitler came into uh, power as the chancellor of the German nation. And what happened next was just a lightning fast transformation that really took uh, the German people and the German church by surprise. And I'm wondering, you know, again, I'm looking at this through a prophetic lens and recognizing as well 
just the blitzkrieg, that's a good old German term, the blitzkrieg-type fashion at which America has become unrecognizable. Um, I mean, in the last uh, decade, two decades at the most, the kind of social change that has happened has been crazy. Yeah. And it reminded me of, of um, you know, the Germans had a big, long word for it, but in English it's called synchronization. In other words, as soon as they came into power, there was a synchronization of the entire German society to Nazi ideology. And we have seen that kind of blitzkrieg kind of synchronization. This happened under whether we call it the progressive uh, label, uh, the leftist label in America. Um, I remember back the words of then Senator Barack Obama, who said uh, that uh, we're going to witness the fundamentally fundamental transformation of America in five days. This was before the election, and he was elected as president, but. Who would have, you know, his whole campaign was was run on change. Um, and um, who would have conceived that the change that he had in mind would have been such a radical um, Marxist, as we've talked about in previous, sexual uh, transformative, almost like the 1960s uh, in, its, in its scope. Just we, we've seen the destruction of the family, destruction of marriage, destruction of gender, basically everything the left touches, it dissolves. And... Uh, and, and uh, most of us are still in shock at how quickly, especially after, I think, after uh, uh, same-sex marriage became the law of the land. I mean, that talk about the slippery slope. Before the ink was even dry on that piece of legislation, we just watched this, this incredible um, uh, retreat from Judeo-Christian sexual ethics. Yeah, I think this is one of those things that's like it's, there's a quick consolidation of the power because there would be a decay in the foundations for decades, and maybe the church haven't recognized it. And the decay probably happens in the church. I mean, it's really kind of what happened in Germany is that they saw everything happen so quickly, but it's because the foundations has been so, so uh, it's already corrupted. Yeah. And and no one noticed it because outside everything looks good, right? Right. But when right. The, when when Hitler came over, it was just like that was the first domino. When everything came a consolidation of power. They yeah. show their true colors because they have all the pieces. Well, and it was uh, a it was a a time of great demoralization for Germany. They just come out of World War One, the Versailles Treaty, and some of the things that were really strong acts of punishment against Germany. Uh, economically, they were in terrible times. And it really you know, created a perfect storm, so to speak, a vacuum for somebody to come in and, and promise um, you know, a, a recovery. Uh, people were hungry for change. They were hungry for somebody that would help them. And so it's interesting. I see the parallels again with America today because when Hitler comes into power, he, he brings about some change d- democratically, but other change he brought about the same way we're seeing it happen now by by executive order, mm-hmm. which is unlawful uh, emergency powers, um, all of these things that should be um, used sparingly for dictators or for people with a powerful political agenda, uh, where democracy is much too slow, they just simply take power into their own hands and just start making you know, unilateral decisions, mm-hmm. um, which is not the way our system was set up. And so the same thing happens with Hitler. He, he uh, as soon as he is able to consolidate power, he just starts making up, he's a law unto himself. Mm-hmm. And before you have a chance even to push back, he's gone on to the next thing. And so again, I look at America today um, and we're seeing this kind of, um, whether it's in the courts, where, where now the courts are being used as, as, a, as a political 
uh, attack means against our enemies. We just keep piling up lawsuits on people so that they're forever in court and we bankrupt people. Um, Or uh, whether it's from the executive branch where we just simply say, uh, we're we're doing this, we're doing that, we're changing policy here, we're changing our policy on our border. Uh, And none of this is run through Congress. Um, And so uh, these are scary times because you get the wrong people in power and it's almost like a, a... you know, a snowball that just keeps rolling down the hill, and you wonder where does this abuse of power? Well, stop? let's not even talk about the the consolidation of power of corporate uh, corporate America. Yeah, um, big media, big pharma, big um, weapon manufacturer. I mean, it's, it's yeah. a consolidation. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's Justice Department, Justice CIA, Department. FBI. Yeah, it's, it's a consolidation of power to, to fundamentally transform America. It's almost they've been waiting for this moment. To, to to enact change, you know? Yeah. But I think what we've got to be aware of and, and cautious of is just how, and not naive about, how quickly that transformation can happen when when uh, the, the circumstances are right and when there's that consolidation of power without checks and balances. Um, I mean, it, it hit the German people with such force they right. were stunned. Because uh, we, we share this example, or he shares the example in the book, that, um, you know, there were, there were these... Um, also, an understanding in Germany at the time of this idea of the leader, the Führer, the the person that was going to lead Germany back, and Hitler really took that on. He called himself the leader, the Führer, uh, and he really had a messianic complex uh, that he was going to be the savior of the German people. And so, ironically, providentially, um, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer is scheduled to give an essay on leadership, a national speaking to the people of, of Germany on a national radio broadcast, and he's basically contrasting biblical leadership from the leadership that Hitler's talking about and, and saying that, you know, the true leader is the one who serves the people, not the one who dominates the people. And in the middle of his, his speech, his sermon, uh, he's cut off and it goes to silence. And uh, nobody really knows what happened or who was responsible. Uh, but certainly all indications point to the fact that the Nazis didn't appreciate, you know, uh, Bonhoeffer coming and raining on their on their parade and, and ruining the party, being a party pooper. Yeah. Um, and uh, again, so Bonhoeffer was effectively, as Metaxas points out, canceled. And we're witnessing this on a variety of fronts today from the very power sources that you talked about. Um, but most recently, uh, the cancellation, you know, so here his voice was canceled. He's just completely shut off. He, he doesn't have a media platform any longer. We've se- certainly seen that happen. Anybody who goes against the current orthodoxy, progressive orthodoxy, uh, is canceled, especially in places like Hollywood, right? Mm-hmm. If there's any inkling or any sniff that you might hold on to traditional, you know, moral values, sexual values, or that you might be against whatever the agenda is, you know, you're out of a job. It certainly happens in higher education today. People are being canceled. Um, uh, basically, any major platform that, that one might have in a public arena, if if you're if you go against the the current orthodoxy, you will be canceled. Or social media, social you know, media, yeah, yeah, Google, yeah. YouTube. Absolutely. So yeah, Twitter, it doesn't take a a, a, a big leap to uh, to go there, and we're already seeing it happen. Uh, Sam Brownback was the former governor of Kansas. He was a U.S. senator. Uh, he's the chairman of the National Committee for Religious Freedom. Um, 
which is simply an advocacy group existing to defend the right of everyone to, in America to live out their faith freely. Uh, in the spring of 2022, an organiz- uh, the organization opened a J.P. Morgan Chase checking account, and a few weeks after the account was opened, the bank su- suddenly shut it down. And they didn't tell uh, Brownback's organization as to why. When questioned, Chase employees uh, could not disclose the reason why the account was closed. Eventually, a representative of the bank's corporate office told the organization that the bank might reinstate the account if it took three actions. Number one, disclose a list of donors who contributed more than 10% of its operating budget. So now, well, why do you want to know donors of a yeah. private non-for-profit? Because you're going to punish them, right? Right. Hand over a list of political candidates that the group intended to support. So you, this is clearly right. political. And then lastly, divulge the criteria that this group uses to decide who to support politically. So all of these things are completely a trampling of individual, you know, personal liberties. And this is happening by, you know, one of the major banks uh, in America, you know. Uh, The largest bank, probably in the world. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So here we're seeing this, you know, this is what concerns me too with all the digital stuff, digital currency. Currency, yeah. Um, a digital passport, anything, Christians, anything with the word digital in front of it uh, certainly suggests control when it's in the wrong hands. So now if you want to fly somewhere, go somewhere, if you don't have a digital passport and have to give up all kinds of personal information to get one, or maybe even get vaccinated to get one, or who knows what other things they would require, um, then all of a sudden you are canceled from traveling, or you're canceled from banking, or you're canceled from having a job. Um, I mean, this is stuff that should deeply concern all of us, uh, and this is exactly what was happening in Germany at the time, because first of all, we were joking about this, the next thing Hitler did was the Nazis, um, most likely, uh, history is not conclusive, we know, that, that we know the individual who set the fire, but there was what is famously called the Reichstag fire, which was the, is like the fire, lighting Congress on fire, if you want to do the American uh, version of it. Um, and uh, and what historians believe is that this was actually a fire set by a Nazi operative, and then the fire was blamed or used as the uh, pretense to attack their political enemies who were the communists. Yeah. And so they own the they own the media at the time, and they go on the media and they start putting fear in the hearts of the people and creating hysteria. Same thing we witnessed during the pandemic: uh, create fear everywhere, people panicking. Uh, and then they then they point out who their enemy is. Oh, it was the communists who lit the the Reichstag on fire. They're they're a threat to democracy. Mm-hmm. And again, the parallels between the January sixth event are just too numerous to uh, to to miss. Um, you know, we it's have, almost like they're following, following the same playbook. Oh, that's that's exactly the point. <laughs> there there is a playbook, and it's not a new playbook. It's yeah. one that works really really well. Basically, if you listen to the news and you hear what they're saying, just apply it directly opposite, and you'll probably find what's really what's going on. What's the truth, yeah. Yeah. So basically, this is a threat to democracy. The communists are behind it, those evil communists. And so they use this event to go out and actually arrest you know, their political opponents, and we're not here cheering the communists on, uh, but, but what they did was seize power, create a fake enemy— Go after the enemy, trample the enemy, use the use what they just did as a uh, 
uh, almost like, hey, don't anybody mess with us. This will happen to you, right? Yep, yep. And again, we're seeing Fear. this in, in the pro-life movement. We're seeing this with anybody that's standing up for traditional biblical morality. They're branded a bigot. Um, they're accused of being immoral, hating kids, whatever it is. And just the opposite is, is of course, true. Um, but but then it's, they're used as uh, test cases. Like, see what we did here? Don't even try this yeah. or this gonna, same thing's going to happen to you. So that's what the Nazis were up to. Um, and, uh, the, of course, the Reichstag fire, uh, blaming political opponents. This led to sweeping emergency decrees and the trampling of personal liberties. Yeah. Again, we witnessed all this over the last few years. Of course, the Nazis controlled the media narrative. We've been saying this for years. There, there are no con- true conservative voices on the main media platforms, if you're talking about all the major media outlets. Right, controlled by the corporate Corporate heads, which all have a certain bias, absolutely, and they and there, pay the bills. And there's a worldview that is yep. trumpeted through there, and um, and so it, it's hard to find any truth these days. You're just getting uh, whatever propaganda uh, the power brokers are are uh, releasing. Um, and then after, on the heels of that, comes the Restoration Act by Hitler, which was designed to create a racially pure German state. And in that Restoration Act was something that we're going to talk about today called the Aryan Paragraph, which made it illegal for anyone of Jewish blood to hold a government position. So if you had any kind of Jewish background, uh, you could not hold a position in the government. That's where it started off. But it quickly spread from the government to... Uh, there was a, a protest of all German businesses. The SS troops would be standing out in front of the business telling the German people, don't support these Jewish people. Um, they're against us. You know, they're hurting us. Um, and then there was the, the night when uh, uh, they went out and mobs started destroying German businesses and stealing and looting and everything. Um, you know, again, we're not seeing this based on Jewishness or based on ethnicity today, but we certainly are seeing it in a systematic. I just I just watched where um, these organized mobs are now of of young people are now trashing businesses all along our major uh, in, inner cities: Chicago, San Francisco. Uh, coordinated efforts to break in, steal everything, and leave. And and so you're you're finding a, an attack of corporate America, even while corporate America is actually supporting the kind of behavior that's <laughs> leading to the destruction of their own businesses. Right. I mean, it's really a, a a crazy kind of thing that's happening. Um, but it was this Aryan paragraph that was kind of the uh, the watershed moment for the church in Germany because because Bonhoeffer is going, wait a minute, how in the world can we be the church and allow anybody, any group of people to be systematically persecuted. Well, at this point, because of that close-knit relationship between the government and the institutional church, yeah. that that Aryan paragraph start applying to the church. In other words, you cannot have someone in church leadership who has Jewish background. And all of a sudden, the government is dictating the church who, who you can and cannot have in leadership. And all of a sudden, bon, uh, Bonhoeffer is like, wait a second, are we going to allow this? Is right. that really happening? Is right. this what's really going on? So right. we, have, we have the church uh, that is now coming under the authority, submitting to the authority of the the Democratic Socialist Party and whatever the party says needs to happen. And so so now the, the, the government has now become lord over the church and dictating to the church what it can and cannot do. And, of course, from, from a personal situation, Bonhoeffer is impacted because one of his best friends was a Jewish 
person who had come to know Christ and was now a professing Christian. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so Bonhoeffer's going, wait a minute, if, if this is true and what you're saying is going to happen, then my friend here who is a German pastor who happens to be Jewish but is preaching the same gospel I'm preaching, now this man, just because of his Jewish blood, is not allowed to serve the Lord and to serve Christ's church because the Nazis say so? You know, for Bonhoeffer, this was a completely unacceptable position, as it should be for anybody who honors Christ and honors the Word. Right. Um, and so um, he's basically asking, how could the German state dare tell the Church of Jesus Christ who its members and leaders could be? Now, again, we saw this during the pandemic, not not the state telling the Church who its leaders can be, but basically telling the Church what it can and cannot do during this emergency episode, right? Um, and again, it caused many of us to have to pause and go, wait a minute, can the state do that? Is this a proper role of the state? Right. And just like in our day, I can't, think of a, I can't think of a period in American history, at least in my lifetime, when there was more chaos and confusion and splintering in the church, right, uh, during the pandemic mm-hmm. and over, like, how is the church to respond? This, of course, is exactly what happened to the German church. You know, there are people going, wait a minute. You know, Hitler said that he was going to build a strong Germany and that he was for strong morals. You know, that the communists were godless and the communists didn't have strong morals. And so Hitler's going to stick into the communists. That's a good thing. So we should support Hitler uh, because he's for morality and he's for a strong Germany. Um, and then on the other hand, they're going, but yeah, but wait a minute. You can't support this guy because look at what he stands for. Look at what he stands for on X, Y, and Z. And I think we're dealing with a little bit of that even in this next election cycle, are we not? Like, you know, never has the church been more confused about the types of leaders and the types of policies that we should be promoting. Um, and even even now, you know, you have a, a kind of a clear divide. We use the word woke to describe kind of a where the church is kind of caved to what's going on politically instead of standing against it. But I think this describes kind of the weakness of the church in America right now. We're, we're not very unified. We're not very clear about what it means to be the church. Um, and, you know, perfect example, uh, Andy Stanley is hosting a sold-out conference, um, uh, basically addressing uh, the whole LGBTQ response of the church. Like, what do we do? How do we respond to this? Uh, the problem is some of the speakers that he's got sharing are people that are in same-sex relationships. Uh, and consider themselves married. So, I mean, here you have a major leading church in the Southern Baptist Association that is taking a stance that for millennia would be viewed as unbiblical. Like the Bible clearly teaches about this, what are you doing? Seeking to try to bridge a new way forward. Um, President Trump, former President Trump, seems to be trying to do this with the issue of abortion recently, which has caused a lot of conservatives to start scratching their head and say, wait a minute, where are you coming from? In other words, trying to forge a third way that compromises the clear teaching of Scripture and tries to meld it with whatever the uh, politically correct view is at the Mm -hmm. time. Um, So again, should we be concerned about where we are as a nation? Yeah, because the church is divided, the church is splintered, and the church is not in agreement about a lot of these issues um, any more than the church was in agreement about the issues that was facing the German church during Hitler. Yeah. Um, So there was much pressure on the church to get in line um, and can I just say this? You know, when I was out at the state house when we were dealing with the battle over marriage, um, I overheard a Christian university president saying, you know, basically the church needs to change on this issue. In other words, the pressure was so intense 
um, to, to, to embrace whatever the new orthodoxy was. And as you pointed out, it all goes back to money. It all goes back to funding. It, it all goes back to, to the umbilical cord attached to the federal government, which, which all of this is wrong. Um, but basically what's going on is, you know, if we don't get in line, if we don't succumb to the pressure, if we don't try to compromise, build bridges, then we're going to face the strong arm of the federal government that's going to come down and punish us, first and foremost, by cutting off funding. Um, and I think, again, the German church at the time was sponsored and receiving money from the state. Mm -hmm. So right there is a massive red flag. We got to make sure we are not, you know, sucking off the breast of the federal government as the church, because that is never a situation that ends well. Um, and that's exactly what the German church was under. Um, yeah, the institutional separation the institution, is very, very yep. important. Yep. yep. So by wedding the church and state, Many Germans were hoping that, that Hitler was going to restore them to their former glory, and the, and the compromise in their minds was this. Hey, if we work with this guy, we'll actually have a bigger platform and more clout and more power to be able to preach the gospel. It's amazing the kind of mental gymnastics that you go through uh, when you're under pressure like that. And so there was a group of German Christians um, who referred to their brand of faith as positive Christianity, and they were wanting a strong, unified Reich church in a sense, like the Church of England, you know, the Church of England uh, was made up of English-speaking peoples who were all united and had a national church. They were kind of going, "Wait, hey, if the Church of Germany could purify itself, and you know, we're not really against Jews, we just think if you're Jewish and you get saved, you should kind of go to your own church, the Jewish church, not the German church." And so they were making all kinds of crazy mental gymnastics in their mind to justify why it was okay. Um, to kind of separate Jewish people from the pure German church mm -hmm. for the sake of a reunification, a healing, a, a, a restoration of the power and the glory that once existed in Germany in, in the former days. So there's all kinds of that kind of, of thinking going on. Uh, Jews could be baptized, but they needed to attend a separate but equal Jewish Christian church. And... Um, Here's a quote, again, from Metaxas. He said, but what's amazing and horrifying is that many in the German church, like many in the American church now, were willing to look the other way, even on something that touched the very fundamentals of the faith in which they professed to believe. They wished to get along and not to be seen as troublemakers. Um, man, during the pandemic, so to speak, I use pandemic in quotes um, because it was certainly blown way out of proportion historically with other pandemics. But anyway, during the pandemic, the pressure for the church not to buck the system was huge. Do you, you remember some of the early early adopters or early non-adopters who kept having service? Some of the, some larger churches or some more well-known churches, the media just circled around like vultures and just attack, 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 um, you know, and accuse them of all kinds of horrific... They actually accuse them of being selfish for, mm -hmm. for simply functioning as the church. The pressure was great. And they really sought to make a, a, an object lesson out of those places. Um, it was the same thing here. The church saying, hey, let's just... We want to be seen as helpers. We want to be seen as the good guys. We want to be seen as for the nation, for the government. Um, and, of course, all of this was under the uh, complicit banner of uh, a misinterpreted Romans 13, right, which was the, uh, the biblical support for doing nothing uh, and for simply going along you know, to, to get along. Um, 
But, you know, what I appreciate about Bonhoeffer is he tried to provide, number one, an alternative. He founded the American Emergency Pastors League, which was a group of, of a non non uh, conforming non conforming pastor. pastors yes uh, and he saw it instead of dealing with the uh, all the label tossing right and making everything political or this or that he said wait a minute let's get together and try to have a well thought through theologically sound position that allows us to work together and to move forward. Of course, that never works in an in an atmosphere of heightened uh, emotion and 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 hysteria and fear. But he preached a message called "The Church and the Jewish Question," and and let's talk about the three main points here because they have so much to to speak to our context today. So, point number one, Bonhoeffer said that the church was the conscience of the state and must call it to account that it must loudly object if the state was doing wrong. He said the church must help the state be the state. In other words, our job is to make sure that the state stays within its proper authority realm as the state, help it be the state. He said, quote, the state which endangers the Christian proclamation negates itself. Now, this is important because who holds the government in line? The only institution that can hold the government in line is the Church of Jesus Christ. And what are, what's the plumb line? It's the Scripture. Yeah. It's the Word of God. And so when the state crosses that line, and let me just say, for instance, Governor Newsom and what's happening in California right now, uh, talk about crossing the line. He, he is actively promoting sexual perversion and making it the law. So that if you go against it or you buck the system, the heavy arm of the state comes down and punishes you. Um, this is absolutely a, a time for the church to be speaking out and calling him out by name. I just had a great conversation with my son. He's reading the book Undercover, you know, by by John Vivere. And he was saying, you know, John Vivere is encouraging that we should not speak against government officials, that we should honor their position, and so, et cetera, et cetera. And you know, so we were having this healthy dialogue. We should not speak against them. And I and I said, absolutely, you're you're correct in that we don't speak against the office, that we we honor the person holding the office. We don't do name calling, but name calling is not name calling is calling you know somebody a derogatory name uh, that's attacking their person or their character. Telling somebody that what they're doing is wicked and evil is not name calling. That's called holding the biblical plumb line and commanding that person and pointing out to that person that they're in violation of Scripture. And for us to not do that, like, I have no problem calling our current president evil and wicked because his policies are evil and wicked, and what he's promoting is evil and wicked, and we should call it what it is. Um, you don't just go, oh, yeah, he's a great old guy. Uh, no, he's not. What he's doing is damaging our nation, and he's trampling our liberties, and he's violating the Word of God with his policy. That It's not non-Christian to call it out as it is. In fact, it's very Christian. It's necessary. If we don't do that, who will? I mean, John the Baptist went, went before Herod and said, hey, what you're doing is wrong. You're sleeping, you're sleeping with your brother's wife. That's called adultery. God doesn't like it. It's sexual perversion. Stop it. It's evil. Um, well, let's talk about Jesus himself telling Pontius Pilate, saying, you don't have authority over me. Yeah, he called you him know. a fox, yeah. which wasn't a good term back then. Uh, <laughs> he was speaking to his character. So my point is, obviously, this is, this is holy ground. We have to be humble and restrained, but we should not be silent. And, and uh, Bonhoeffer is like, 
time out. If, if the church or if the state is trampling on a certain population of our people and trampling their rights, it's, it's my responsibility as a believer to stand up and call the state out. Now, that takes guts. And, and, and I would even argue with the whole undercover thing. It's like we're undercover under the government. What is the government? The government is actually the Constitution. <laughs> So we're not, even simple, we're not even calling out, we don't even need to call people out according to the scripture. We don't even need to go there yet. We can simply call people out because it's simply unconstitutional, which is actually the framework of the government, right? It's, yeah. it's not some, some random guy who got elected. It's the constitution that provides the framework. And we swear to uphold the constitution. And if someone's violating the constitution, we are undercover to call the person out and say, you are not, you're being unconstitutional. That's what the, the courts are supposed to do. Right. What you're doing is wrong, and we're not going to support we're you. We're not going to abide by it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so that's the first yeah. thing Bonhoeffer said, which, which was radical, but it gets more radical, uh, at least to the German church that was asleep at the time. Then he said the Christian church, number two, was obligated to help any victims of the state. The church, quote, this is Bonhoeffer's words, has an unconditional obligation to the victims of any ordering society, even if they do not belong to the Christian community. Now, this was radical because everybody in the audience knew that what he was referring to was the Jewish people, because he said, even if they're not part of the Christian community, in other words, if they're practicing Jews, you still have the responsibility to help any victims of the state. Um, He quoted Paul in Galatians, where Paul said, do good to all men. And he argued that it was vital for the church to share the good news with the Jewish people. And he said, if Hitler's laws were adopted, that would be impossible. So he said, the Jewish people are, are... we have a, a, a responsibility, the Great Commission, to preach the good news to everyone who has yet to hear, including Jewish folks. And if Hitler's uh, edict becomes the law, and if we're submitting to that law, then he's basically telling us that we cannot share the gospel with uh, Jewish people. Uh, and that was, again, that was a direct violation of the commands of Jesus. And he quoted, Gal- in, his, in his speech that day, he quoted, quoted Galatians 3.28, There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. And so his conclusion was it is the duty of the church to stand up for the Jewish people. Now, at that point, when he preached this particular part of the message, supposedly, uh, historically, uh, people got up and left because they understood at that point, wow, now he just connected some dots, and he, he just made a true statement that's making me very uncomfortable, because now if what he says is true, I'm connecting the dots between what are the personal costs and consequences yeah. for my life. And instead of staying and listening and hearing him out, sometimes the truth has a way of lighting a fire under your behind, and you just get up and leave. So the third point that Bonhoeffer made, he said, uh, if the state refused to change course and to do the right thing, but rather continued in its sins, which in this case were principally focused on persecuting the Jews. It was a solemn obligation of Christians to take action. They were not merely to protest verbally and to help the victims, but they were also to become actively political and, quote, to shove a stick in the spokes of the wheel of the rumbling machine of the state. And here's Bonhoeffer's direct quote. He said, We are not simply to bandage the wounds of victims beneath the wheels of injustice. We are to drive a spoke into the wheel itself. Now, that was radical because you have here a church that's asleep, a church that's largely embraced um, pacifism, 
a church that's married basically to the state, a church that's funded by the state. And now Bonhoeffer is saying it's not enough just, number one, to witness to Jews, to stand against this unfair persecution of Jews. They're not able to act as normal citizens in society. But now we should actually help them. If they, if they can't work because the government won't let them have jobs, then it's our obligation as a church to help feed them and clothe them and house them. And then he takes the next radical step that if the government doesn't change, our job is to step in and put, you know, put a stake into the spokes. Now, that sounds like we're to do something to stop this evil machinery from moving forward. Uh, in other words, this is civil disobedience. Um, we can't just treat the casualties while the grinding wheel of government keeps damaging and hurting and destroying the lives of its people. Our obligation is to go after the structure itself, to go after uh, the wicked government that's doing this. And I just wonder, again, how close we are in America to that point. Um, You know, you do everything possible to peacefully address the situation. Certainly we pray, we speak, we write, we, we have the privilege, as you pointed out, under our Constitution to run for office. Um, I think we're at that point now where we're at, you know, kind of point number one. Hey, this is evil. This is wicked. We should be speaking out boldly against it. We should be not tolerating this. We're seeing parents rising up, moms rising up uh, at school board meetings, right, all across America. We're seeing uh, to the north uh, in Canada massive protests uh, against the LGBTQ agenda that's being shoved down parents' throats in uh, Canadian schools. Unless we take the streets, unless we say enough is enough, eventually... Uh, you know, we ask, who's the Jew? What's the corresponding parallel? You know, who who's the Jew in Nazi Germany in America today? It's certainly, although we are seeing anti-Semitism rising up in America today, but but wh- who are the people being attacked? I, I think we've pointed out in this podcast, it's really people who hold a Judeo-Christian worldview. It's the morality of those people, the ideology, the worldview of those people that goes right in the face of globalism, Marxism, all the DEI stuff, CRT, um, LGBT, uh, sexual agenda, um, gender transition stuff going on. I mean, these are all, if I had to draw a line in the sand, it would be a a full-blown frontal assault of the Judeo-Christian Western worldview. Uh, It's been attacked in our universities, attacked in the media, attacked in the courts, attacked in public education. I mean, you can go right across the line, and we have more than enough evidence to point out a systematic assault on on, on the church of Jesus Christ. Maybe that's the common denominator, the true church of Jesus Christ. You know, um, Bonhoeffer said that in the true church, you would find Jews and Christians submitted under the Word of God. And if if Jews and Christians submitted under God's Word cannot find a place in church, then he said, you're not a church. Mm. Those are fighting words. And um, uh, But there was a clear split between what we would call the woke church and between uh, a Bible-believing church that's rooted in, in truth and conviction, and it has the courage to stand for that. Um, and so, you know, it's kind of interesting, again, to look 
at what's going on in the church in America compared with what's happening then, and the parallels, as I think Metaxas is trying to say, are pretty, pretty pronounced. Yeah. So, you know, the result, again, was this massive splintering of the church, pastors getting up and leaving, it was too much for them, and I put here, they retreated to Romans 13 as a cover for blind submission and unquestionable compliance. Um, I, I, I don't know. I just saw a lot of that during the last three years. Blind submission and unquestionable compliance. Um, and I don't know where we're going. You know, we're in, we're in flu season, so this is usually when um, uh, the media gets full-blown into uh, uh, blowing things out of proportion. Get your 20th booster shot. you got to wear a mask. You can't fly. Um We'll start putting arrows down in the supermarkets to teach us how to walk to buy our groceries. I mean, you know, is all the, you know, social distancing, uh, mail-in ballots, you know, that was the whole basis for mail-in ballots because we want to protect people. I mean, are are they going to try to do all this again? I don't know. But I just, man, I sure hope that the church wakes up and smells the coffee, you know, because uh, the devastation and damage to personal liberties. And I would just say this as a pastor— um, yes, I care about education, and yes, I care about setting kids back, and yes, I care about all the fear and all that kind of stuff. All that, I mean, there's, I care about the businesses that were damaged. But at the end of the day, the gravest uh, tra- tragedy and the biggest assault was on personal liberties, uh, which are the foundation for everything else that, that happened. Right. It, it's a, it's a assault. It's a, it's a, it shows where people are and how much we don't value personal liberty because we're, because we're, we're we value comfort over personal liberty. We're risk of avoidant for sure, and and I think that's the that's the demise of every civilization is when you start valuing personal comfort uh, versus standing up for the freedom of not just your generation but future generations. Absolutely. Right? But but I also same time I see a surgeons. I, I see people waking up. I see I, do too. I see people who are who who are. I, I myself my eyes were open to wow. There is a consolidation of power, and these guys all in league. But the truth is, those people who are in the league, yeah, they got the money and they got the microphone, but they don't have the numbers, and that's the key, I think. It's, yeah. it's, 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 it, there is a difference, which I'm, I'm hoping between Germany and America is because we do have a constitution, and 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 our constitution is well, it, they did too, um, and it was the emergency powers with the with the Reichstag event that caused the government to seize that as an opportunity because people were freaking out. Mm-hmm. To seize it, to trample those constitutional powers. I mean, you know, Germany had uh, the rule of law and everything. But when you have people in power uh, that don't care about that, all they care about is raw power, then you quickly change constitutions or you ignore constitutions. And you know, I mean, I just look at the situation right now. I I won't mention any names, but there was there was a a, a conservative on CNN, which is a rare thing, and the the interviewer where they're talking about the border. And the man was just saying, you know, close the border. And the CNN uh, representative was saying the border is closed. And he's like giving data. Like we have how many hundreds of thousands of people that have crossed the border. The border's not closed. Um, they stopped Trump from building the wall. They're trying. They're suing governments from putting up and trying to protect their own states' borders, which is what the federal government is supposed to do: is protect our border. And the, the the disparity of reality between the two was crazy because the CNN guy was just sitting there saying, we are doing this, this administration, the border, he said this, the border is closed. 
We're watching people flood our border like an invasion. So when you cannot even agree on on simple reality, you're so blinded by your ideology. That's a scary place to be. Well, I think the, the problem is you're right. The when you say the right is wrong and wrong is right, and when you say facts are are depending on your opinions, then then there's no there's no stage for that debate, right? There's no right, there's no right. point to even have that debate. And him, this person being on CNN was a bad news to start with. My my, my question would be, why we even is that a platform you're really seeking to reach out to? Like, why even have that debate? I know, but but everybody knows. But the truth is evident to everyone who has eyes and ears. And yeah. Who so I go back to what you said. I would say, I would say it this way. I feel like we don't have the numbers in terms of financial clout. We don't have the 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 microphone clout uh, mm-hmm. in terms of the main media and the and the idea shapers. But I still believe that the we do have the numbers when it comes to the majority of Americans who are really starting to see what's going on. Absolutely. I, I think we have those numbers. The problem is, um, again, with all of the violations of our liberties that happen under the guise of protecting us, um, that's what's still killing us. And and um, so even when our elections have to be questioned whether or not they're, they're true and whether the outcomes were real, um, even that is being – you're sued now for – if you hold that belief, yeah. was the election valid? Even though even though the Democrats, uh, when Trump got elected, were all saying it pub- publicly, now anybody that says that is viewed as an insurrectionist. Mm-hmm. And people will try to sue you for that holding that belief, which yeah. in and of itself should be outrageous to us, that in America today we cannot express our opinion about something, period, whatever right. that opinion is. Something as important as election. Yeah, absolutely. So this should cause us to be concerned that somebody would actually be sued over having an opinion that they might question or or silence. But even there, punished with the courts, punished personally, having to defend yourself, having to spend money, destroying somebody economically. I mean, these are grave injustices uh, that the church must speak out about and uh, and will continue to speak out about that as as we as these things come up. I'm going to hold you accountable. You hold me accountable. But may we may we be part of uh, the uh, pastors' emergency, emergency league? Pastor league yeah. uh, I'd rather I'd rather uh, be caught with Bonhoeffer than with a silent, complicit church that uh, was just trying to be cool and uh, and fit in. So anyway, Lord help us. Um, I hope you're enjoying this. We're going to get into some really good stuff because it goes from bad to worse uh, as it relates <laughs> to the church. Um, but again, I hope this is a powerful challenge to be courageous, open up your mouth, speak, share, you know, don't be silent in the midst of uh, these trying times that we find ourselves in. And I still believe we don't, we're not inevitably following a script like Nazi Germany. That's not the point of this podcast. We can go a completely different direction. I pray that, I pray that we do. I pray that history shows that the church in America arose, awakened, and that we saw a massive revival. And we're hoping more and more pastors pick up the microphone and read this book and then create their own platform and speak to their own flock and their own environment their own you know platform and share the same message because yeah we don't have one major media outlet like these other groups but all these small little 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 brush fires can make a major difference amen so hey open up your mouth this week stand for christ make a difference and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you again with us next thursday thanks for joining us